Hello, this is Spotlight on Lead Poisoning brought to you by Southern United Neighborhoods, a nonprofit committed to environmental, social, and economic justice for low-income and working families. For more information, please visit our website at southernunitedneighborhoods.org or give us a call at 1-800-239-7379. My name is Marie. I'm here with Bill Robinson. And, um, Bill, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and who you work with? Uh, okay, Marie. And, by the way, thanks for giving me an opportunity to, uh, you know, pitch in on this. I uh, am locally here in New Orleans, and uh, I do building envelope, building performance consulting. And a few years ago, I was asked by uh, LSU to start helping to teach the EPA RRP class, which is the requirement for contractors to be certified uh, doing work on houses and child-occupied facilities built before 1978. Now, the reality of it is I, I don't do a lot of that now. At first, there was a, a whole rush of contractor certification. Unfortunately, there wasn't really good enforcement. The enforcement was being done kind of haphazardly. And so I still advocate for it. We still do some work on site. We still try to follow the rules. But the biggest thing I think now that I try to do is just help educate people about indoor air quality and occupant health, which includes uh, lead and a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, because you don't have to be a contractor to be concerned about exposure to lead and other healthy home hazards, I mean, other home hazards, right? Well, absolutely. In fact, you know, the RRP class, certification class, is an eight-hour class, and so a contractor or an individual has to sit in a classroom for eight hours and go through a bunch of PowerPoint slides and some hands-on demonstrations. But there's nothing like, first of all, real-world experience about dealing with these things. A lot of the practices that are included in the EPA RRP program would just be good things for individuals to do anyway, which is cleaning surfaces, you know, not leaving lead dust behind, using HEPA vacuums, be aware of where these lead dust creating surfaces are coming from, and also a better awareness about what really causes the problems. Um, how did you first become concerned about lead poisoning? Back several years ago, I, I used to live in California, and I was a contractor out there, and there was a requirement, and I can't remember the details now, but there was a requirement that contractors working on houses built before 1978 to hand out a, a little flyer or a document that's still available. And so I first saw that back, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago. I remember at one time we were living in a house and we moved out of it and the owner, we were renting, the owner was gonna sell the house and the people next door that had a childcare center uh, wanted to buy it. And they asked me to bid on it because I was doing work on houses like that. And one of the contingents in my bid was that the lead be either mitigated or remediated or taken care of before any work was done. And, of course, my bid got taken out of that because they, they didn't want to spend that extra money. And always my concern afterwards was this is an old house built before 1978, a great craftsman in Santa Barbara, that a bunch of kids were put in, and they were getting exposed to lead dust. So I've kind of been aware and practicing that for at least 20 years. Yeah, and that's somewhat alarming that people try to take these shortcuts of not accepting a bid that may include um, lead work because it's more expensive, but you're exposing really young children 
to let. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I mean, kind of one of the challenges with it is that, unfortunately, first of all, EPA hasn't had the resources to monitor this as much as maybe me and others would have liked to have seen, but they do what they can. So some high-profile companies like some of the big box stores and some of these actually home improvement TV shows have been uh, fined, or I'm going to use the term busted by the EPA because they weren't following the lead safe work practices. I think from our standpoint here, we can just kind of help people better understand about what that's all about and work around it. I have had experiences where we were working on houses doing window restoration, and we followed all the EPA RRP guidelines, which uh, is an occupant notification, a warning. We set up a containment. We use uh, HEPA vacuums and all other kind of stuff. And it turns out that the containment that we were using was more keeping the other dust from the other contractors who were not following the guidelines out of our work area rather than the dust that we were making into the rest of the house. Yeah, and here in New Orleans, I see a lot of people doing restoration, and they want to use the old windows and doors because they feel like that's pretty architecture. But it's also lead poisoning. Like you go into the green project, and it's just full of lead up in there. And I think a lot of people don't even understand how to um, work with that and maybe you shouldn't have that in your house. And, and that, yeah, excuse me. That brings up an interesting point, though, because we've done a lot of work, and I still support the industry of restoring old wood windows. You know, local historic, the HDLC Historic District and Landmarks Commission and Vu Carre Commission historically don't want you taking the wood windows, the old wood mm -hmm. windows, and changing the appearance or the historic fabric of a building. And, and so they want that stuff left in there, People are saying, well, I can get more energy efficiency by doing the dual glazed window and stuff. And a lot of that is not true information. So I'm a fan of leaving those old wooden windows in there, but taking care of them, you know, making sure that they are protected and, and the lead dust is mitigated and educating homeowners about what the problems are. Because if you step outside the house, there may well be as much lead particles in the driveway or there may be as much lead particles in the soils. So you're not going to get away from it. I think the smarter thing to do is to manage it rather than trying to get rid of it. Yeah, so people that are working with these types of windows, they need to know how to do it in a safe way. It's going to reduce the exposure. Yeah, absolutely absolutely right. And, and, and it's very doable. We've done a bunch of it. You know, there's vacuums and there's poles and plastic and containment, and there's procedures about how to make that work. And I, I think one of the things I want to toss in here was I was speaking with an EPA person back several years ago when this first came into uh, need or came online back in 2010. What was the most important part about all of this? And their answer, of course, was all of it. And it's like, no, that doesn't work. I need something more specific. And the whole point here was to don't leave lead dust behind. And so that would be the thing, whether you're working as a contractor or even as a homeowner learning how to clean up that lead dust, horizontal surfaces, window sills, uh, corners around uh, in trim around walls where there's places where you can bump it and knock the dust off. That's where you have to pay attention. And so what were some of the challenges when you were trying to train contractors in RRP certification? 
Well, they didn't uh, want to take the class, or uh, yeah, all, all of the above. I, I think, and, and this might kind of cause some alarm for some people, but uh, the biggest challenge was the training session itself. Uh, the session put together by EPA, and I know this will get me some uh, slings and arrows, but but the EPA uh, eight-hour course was put together in such a way that it didn't speak to the people in the field that were doing the work, and so it was difficult for them to follow some of the exercises and things. Because it was a requirement, uh, at first, we were just swamped with people taking the course. Now what happens is people are saying nobody's regulating it, nobody's monitoring it. There's still a lot of confusion about what kind of certifications you're supposed to have and what you're kind of doing, and then it's not being enforced. And so the big difficulty now is just the fact that people are not taking it seriously. And what's interesting is I predict, and this is not part of this discussion, but I'm throwing it anyway, a year from after the time when this particular virus event is over, we will not take it serious anymore. We'll say, ah, that's no big deal, and we'll go back to doing what we were doing before. So it's just human nature. You know, people people don't want to take care of that. People deny the fact that lead dust is an issue and I'll toss that in there really quickly i talked to a lot of people who uh, do not believe that lead dust causes neurological damage in children which is difficult to have conversations with people like that because that is just beyond uh, disregarding anybody's extra health I, I was doing a session at the green project several years ago doing a window demonstration and somebody in the audience uh, stood up and said i've been working around these old lead windows for 70 years and okay, I'm okay, right? Well, my wife was there and she said, well, you know, maybe if you'd have been working lead safe, you might be vice president now rather than being somebody who just has a house in New Orleans, which was kind of a, you know, we, we don't know what the impacts are on, on us, but definitely it's something we have to just be thoughtful about. It's not that hard. Yeah, I think sometimes it's hard to get people who haven't had any experience with lead poisoning directly like health consequences or a poison child that ended up having learning disabilities or something like that to get them to take lead poisoning seriously but we know that there's no safe level of lead and that um, you don't know the effects of long-term exposure to lead, right? If every day we're getting exposed a little bit, how is that increasing our chances for dementia or um, reducing our immunity to certain diseases and stuff? There's just a lot of uncertainty about that. So I think that is an important challenge you brought up about people not even believing that it's an issue. Um, going back to the RRP training, how do you think those trainings could be improved to get more people interested? Boy, you know, I haven't thought about that. What I did personally was, you know, kind of to make an example of that, the first two classes I taught were that, you know, I said, I'm not going to teach this anymore. I don't like it because it was difficult to <laughs> interact with the audience. And then I thought, nah, I don't want to be a quitter. And so I started, okay, how can I? take the slides and the, and the details that we have to hit, the, the bases we have to touch with the EPA program and make it so it's engaging. And I was able to bring some real-life experience in with working around lead, lead dust, old wood windows, and old houses, and also add a little bit of entertainment to it so that it became engaging. And so I was teaching classes here, and I did a lot of classes with uh, Rebuilding Together up in D.C., uh, to try to help get people to come in 
and, and do all that. And kind of one of the things that's come home to roost now was in the process of it, this was not part of the EPA RRP program, but to clean up after you leave a job site so that when you go home, you don't have lead dust all over you. And so we went through a hand-washing exercise. And I would have people, you know, I would have people sing a song and wash their hands, and I recorded all those and put those up on YouTube, and people were going, oh, that's kind of goofy. But all of a sudden now, huh, maybe washing our hands is a good idea. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. It's an so important I, training. Yeah, right. And so if you can go to my YouTube channel, you can see people singing happy birthday, and one of them was singing uh, staying alive, you know. <laughs> uh, but but the whole point about it is just to try to make it so engaging and communicate with the contractors in ways that mean something to them. And because I had the equipment and I had the stuff, I was able to better react with them. But still, it's a it's a tough learn. And you take contractors and put them in an eight-hour sit-down classroom, too. That's not always – or even – carpenters or whatever uh, that's yeah. not what typically we're used to doing you know sitting for eight hours is awful you know i mean it's it's a painful it's some, thing so go ahead it's something that people perhaps need to learn on the job while they're learning all the skills about how to build things and how to rebuild and how to renovate that let's say work practices just need to be incorporated in that, which would be oh, a no hard question. thing to do yeah. because a lot of people don't do it, but it's definitely needed. Well, I've had a chance to work with LA Green Corps in the past to go in and do uh, RP sessions with some of their folks. I've done some stuff with uh, PRC Preservation Resource Center on, on doing some classes with them on a program they had a few years ago. And then the other part about that is is that the EPA RRP rule, and I keep repeating that, but the EPA RRP rule says that all jobs have to have a certified renovator on the job, which means someone who's taken that class. And anybody who's approved to take that class, and you can find those lists of names on the Internet through EPA, the, the person that's trained on that, that eight-hour class gets a certified renovator certificate. Their job, when they get to the job site, is to train everybody on the job in the basic lead safe work practices. And so that's kind of one way that it gets spread out. So it gets trained, but then the challenge with that too is that uh, a lot of people who take the class and who are good carpenters or good crew leaders may not be very, very good at training. And so just as a little sidebar, I, I made a DVD that was uh, designed for people to use on job sites about how to do all this setup and clean up and let's say work practices, because it takes a lot to be able to do that. You know, it takes a lot of thinking about it. So, and, and it became unstructured once it, once it leaves the classroom, but you're right. Going back to that is that there's, there, there hopefully would be better ways to do it. We, we don't have a whole lot of uh, training schools, unfortunately, to train in, uh, you know, construction practices, there's a little bit of it. If that could be incorporated in the school systems, uh, the, the school systems that have career training, then that would be a good thing too. Yeah, because it's just like washing your hands, right? It's important to develop good habits. And so a good habit would be knowing how to not leave lead dust behind, as you say, and clean up properly after your work day. And if some of that could be... I mean, it's getting harder and harder because they don't have many of those vocational schools anymore that are teaching trades and stuff. But um, 
it's an important part of the curriculum that could be included for those that still do those kind of trainings and classes. Oh, yeah, and, and, and it's about awareness, you know. I mean, I think that's, that's the first step in anything, you know. I mean, if you're not aware that it's an issue, then you're not going to pay any attention to it. Awareness and then some basic practices about how to do it. In, in my world, it can be simplified to don't leave lead dust behind. However you do that, that is, that, that's the practice that you should follow. And then with homeowners, too, going, jumping away from the contractors to the homeowners, there are things that are taught in the RRP program and other places as well that can help homeowners to maintain uh, safe levels or no levels of lead in their homes about horizontal cleaning, uh, uh, keeping an eye on things, monitoring things, making sure that the lead dust is not being created after the contractor leaves. Yeah, so your tips, um, you have some tips that you could share for homeowners who are maybe working on their own houses or using a contractor and wanting to make sure that their home is lead safe? Oh, yeah, a bunch of stuff. First of all, uh, the EPA RRP rule uh, only applies to contractors or people getting compensation for working on houses and child-occupied facilities built before 1978. And the way I put it in the class is homeowners are free to poison themselves. There is no regulation against a homeowner creating lead dust, which is that's just the way the world works. So going back to what homeowners can do, uh, first of all, in, in their personal lives is having a good, real HEPA vacuum. High-efficiency particulate air is, is kind of what that HEPA stands for. Get a really good HEPA vacuum so as you're doing vacuuming, uh, the dust that's being picked up actually stays in the vacuum. And a lot of vacuums that you use when you turn them on, they're sucking up stuff, but they're making a plume or a dust, or you can smell it coming out the backside. That's not a HEPA vacuum. That's just a that's just a, a, an air sucker that's redistributing the dust. So a good HEPA vacuum, get rid of carpets. Carpets are hard to clean and hard to keep. Uh, maintain, use throw rugs rather than carpets, and people go, well, you know, people have all kinds of objections to that, but my recommendation is get rid of carpeting. Now, the other thing is to clean horizontal surfaces. Get yourself some of those, uh, you know, the, the EPA RRP program uses a wet Swiffer type thing or whatever brand of those wet wiping costs you can use and cleaning up the horizontal surfaces so that you don't leave lead dust. And there's actually a procedure where you can take a wet wipe and rub it over a horizontal surface and look at it. And if it looks clean, then it is clean. And if it shows any debris or dust, it's not. And so you go back and clean it again. That's kind of what homeowners can do, right? What what homeowners can do as they're working with contractors is just make sure that when they're hiring a contractor, that the contractor has an EPA RRP certificate and they follow the guidelines. The first thing that has to happen is a contractor working on a home or child-occupied facility built before 1978 is required by the EPA rule to give a, a handout at the beginning of it that explains what's going to happen, that they're going to do lead-safe work practices, and they're going to follow all these guidelines. That is the first sign that the contractor at least is aware of the program. So that if they don't see that, if the homeowner doesn't see that, that, sign, that, that form that they're supposed to sign, then this contractor is not taking care of it. Then the other thing, too, is just to kind of make sure that the contractor is paying attention and following the guidelines of what it does. You know, I mean, when I say what it does, what the program is meant to do, 
And then at the end of it, you know, they should get something that says that we've completed the job and all that. One part of all this is the EPA RRP rule says that if there is no lead dust present on a home or a child-occupied facility, the EPA RRP rules are not required. My recommendation is they should follow general clean work practices anyway with HEPA vacuums and containment to keep the dust down in the house. But as far as the lead testing goes, just kind of as a heads up, we quit testing for lead. You can buy little test kits from uh, Lead Check or a couple other ones from the big box stores, and you can do your own lead test, or the contractor can do the test. If the contractor does the test, they're supposed to give that to the homeowner within 30 days of the finishing of the job, and there's all kinds of other rules in there. But the thing about it is is that we always just made it a practice that if a house or child-occupied facility was built before 1978, we did not test it. We just presumed that there was lead there. And kind of a couple of reasons behind that, one of them is that, you know, you could test a lot of places and still not find the lead or maybe you wouldn't find it. But the other thing was that if, as a contractor, I go into your home and I test for lead, I am and, and it comes back positive, I am required by law or by EPA rule to notify you and so that when you then have uh, go to sell your house, you're required to notify the buyer uh, of the fact that there was lead found in the home. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's a good thing, but it's just something to be aware of, you know. So that's why we never tested. We let somebody else do that. You can send. You can have special tests done, or you can do, you know, on-site testing. Well, I think it's right to assume that there's probably some level of lead dust or some level of lead hazard because um, it can be in the soil and people are tracking it in and out of their home all the time. Yep. So even if you don't have an older home. You might be bringing, you might still be bringing lead inside your home, and so it's a good idea to have a HEPA, a HEPA vacuum, and to follow these cleaning procedures because it's just good to be clean and safe, right? Oh, the, yeah, the, 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 yeah. I mean, the, the bottom line, the takeaway is that as a homeowner, because even after a contractor comes in and does the work, let's presume that they've done a good job, they didn't even lead dust behind, and all the confirmations they were supposed to follow were there. The fact of the matter is the occupancy in a home is going to tend to disturb lead dust. And so, first of all, if you've got conditions where lead dust can be created, it's a good idea to know what they are and to manage those. I'm not necessarily a proponent of getting, you know, abating all the lead dust because I don't really think that even in an abatement situation it's all taken away. But, you know, just to keep things clean, you have a good HEPA vacuum clean surfaces. That That's that's really going to be your big takeaway. Yeah. And so um, you mentioned that you do building envelopes, it is, or building envelopes. What is that? Well, yeah, I know. That's a whole other thing. You know, basically what it is <laughs> is uh, here, especially in Louisiana and in, in Orleans Parish, we have a unique uh, setup of circumstances and conditions because we have, you know, over 60 inches of rain a year. We have a hot, humid climate. There's water in the ground. There's potential water coming over the levees, all this other kind of stuff. Moisture is a big issue. And so the building envelope or the building enclosure or the surrounding, you know, the outside walls, roof, and floor of a building become the most susceptible part of our buildings. And if we don't manage air infiltration and other kinds of things like that, 
then we're going to end up with all kinds of problems of microbial growth. We're going to have problems of wood decay and it's compromised health. You know, we have a lot of people in this in this area who have asthma or other respiratory issues. And so when you've got elevated relative humidity, high moisture content, that does degrade from people's health. And so I go around to people's homes, as they call me, with some, you know, thermal cameras and moisture meters and data loggers and take readings in places where they have situations and then come up with recommendations about how they can mitigate that. Basically, it's elevated moisture content in the house. Oh, yeah, and that's very important, especially during these times where we're asked to sort of self-isolate and quarantine because of the coronavirus. Um, and if our homes are not healthy and we're spending more time time in our homes, it could aggravate our other pre-existing conditions and make us more susceptible to getting sick, right? No question about it. I find, Marie, that when I go to people's homes and they may have some dripping registers or some discoloration in part of their house, and I have a certain set of questions that I ask. And one of the early ones, I always ask, what's your energy bills? Because if they're spending a lot of money on energy, we can maybe do something about that. But are there any people in the home who have health issues? And I would say more often than not, I get an answer of at first of, no, we don't have any. And then after some discussion, they go, well, you know, I do have. And so the thing about it is, is that I don't think we always, we get so used to living with that, that we don't think about it a lot. But what I have come to the conclusion is my main interest used to be the building durability. How durable is the building and the materials in it? But after kind of doing this for a while, I think the top priority is occupant health. And that occupant health covers all sorts of things, like what we're talking about here with the lead and other kinds of volatile organic compounds that are in the house. What kind of cleaning products are you using? I mean, caulk, and when somebody comes in and uses caulk in a house, what kind of caulk is it? Is it a high VOC caulk? Is it a low VOC caulk? Do we, you know, I mean, there's so many different things. So the most important part, in my opinion now, is occupant health. Yeah, because I think people get used to just feeling sick or not feeling good, and they don't tie that into the condition of their home or that they might have something in their home making them unhealthy. Because when you go to the doctor, the doctor doesn't ask you questions about your living situation or have you been exposed to lead, dust, or have you been exposed to moisture in your home or all these other issues, right? Correct. It's just uh, sort I mean, of very, like yeah, um, you might have a family, oh, you probably have a, a family history of this or that. And a lot of times the um, your living conditions are ignored as a health hazard. Right. Well, and here's the thing I think that, that for me, you know, back – you know, when I first got into construction, I was a general contractor, and we were building houses and remodeling houses. And I thought, you know, the biggest thing was pick an item, the framing or the exterior finishes or what kind of cabinets we put in or what kind of refrigerator went in there. But as time has passed, I have become, especially here in Louisiana, because we have so many old homes and so many people with different compromised health issues, is that if if we can't take care of people's health in the houses, we haven't done our jobs. Yeah, and it's about prevention, right? You want to prevent people from getting sicker and have and make sure they have a high quality of life, right? 
no no question about it. I mean, I think that that's I mean that's the whole big initiative, and unfortunately, it's not given as much uh, priority or attention as it could or should be. And part of the reason is 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 that there's not a lot of money in it. You know, I mean, how much money can you make coming in and making somebody's home healthy? Uh, unfortunately, there's no insurance break benefit. There's no tax break. There's no nothing. It's just like uh, somebody came in and, and air sealed my house or put a different air conditioner in or put new filters in or something. And typically that's just an expense out of pocket. So it, the money does run the show. Yeah, and a lot of people here are very low income, and there's nobody really enforcing the standards of housing, making sure everything's up to code. And even the codes are pretty weak around healthy homes a lot of times. I, I, yeah, I think that's changing, but but it changes very slowly. You know, originally the building codes were for life safety. You know, so that when the building caught on fire, you could get out of it, or if there was an earthquake, you could get out of it, or or whatever. But now we see the codes making a big emphasis on energy efficiency, which I'm all for. However, that energy efficiency requirement hasn't always translated over into uh, occupant health, building health. You know, you have some programs like LEED or living building challenge or something like that who may be looking at, at the indoor air quality but basically that doesn't it's not sexy that's all yeah it's not sexy yeah but i like your idea about you know maybe there should be tax breaks for if you make if you do certain things to make your home healthy that you do get you know a tax break or some kind of break on your uh your, your health insurance or something yeah because uh, we need incentives to do things. I mean, why are we washing our hands now? It's, well, because we've been told we had to, right? And we're shamed into it. Now, if you don't wash your hands, uh, you're you're not a good person anymore, right? <laughs> you're a leper or something, right? Exactly right. You have to go outside now. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Um, is there anything else you would like homeowners to know about how to make sure their homes are healthy or what they can do? Um, right now to reduce to reduce um, health hazards in their home? Well, I think the first of all is awareness. To realize that your home can make you sick. Indoor air quality in houses typically can be, I mean, there are exceptions, but the indoor air quality in a house can be uh, worse inside than it is outside. There are places where that's not true. However, uh, to be aware of that, to go look underneath the kitchen cabinet, see what kind of stuff is underneath there, what kind of chemicals, what kind of VOCs being put out, uh, get some good uh, cleaning practices so you don't let moisture accumulate because elevated moisture content will, will cr- promote microbial growth, mold or mildew or whatever you want to call it, which can actually compromise your health sometimes very seriously. As far as the lead and the lead dust goes, is to just keep it clean. You know, look at those friction surfaces. So windows and doors are friction surfaces. Those are places that make the lead dust. Uh, Corners, like if you've got an outside corner, what I mean outside corner is a corner that's exposed in a room that you walk by all the time and it keeps getting bumped into and you're knocking paint chips off. Those paint chips turn into dust. So keep an eye on those. Maybe put protective covers over them or at least clean. HEPA vacuum, HEPA vacuum, HEPA vacuum. I think (laughs) that's it. And for contractors, um, is there anything you, any advice you would have for them? Take Not it bring lead dust home, right? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, there's a whole big thing about that too. You know, to clean themselves. I mean, even though I've kind of dissed 
the EPA RRP program, the information in there is accurate. And so that there are stories about contractors who have uh, worked around lead and taken it home and, you know, infected or impacted their children. And so a little anecdote, I was working on a project here in New Orleans a few years ago, and they were taking old floor joists out of an old recycled building and making windows out of it. <clears throat> and I told the crew that you need to pay attention to lead. You need to follow the rules. And they'd been through the class, right? And so they weren't doing it. And I got a call from the guy running the crew after about six months, and he had a six-month-old baby at home. And he said, man, uh, baby just came back with elevated blood levels. And, I, you know, I said, I don't hate to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you this. Because I told you so. So mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is, is that contractors going home with lead lead dust on their shoes, uh, on their clothes, in their watches, in their glasses, all those kinds of things. Your phone, you know. So you're using your phone at the job, and there's lead dust in the air. You pick up the phone and do a text or look at something, put it back in your pocket. Now you've got that phone co phone covered in uh, lead dust, and then now children will go. It'll, you know, kids, young infants, their their primary way that they relate to the world, as I see it, is they put things in their mouths, right? Mm -hmm. So if you've got a, a like a, a phone that's got lead dust on it, and the child sticking the phone in their mouth, which I don't want to think about that, but if they do, <laughs> they can get they can get lead dust poisoning. It doesn't take very much lead dust to cause neurological damage in a child. It's kind of alarming how little it takes. So just follow the guidelines. Clean up before you go home. And um, if people want to get in touch with you about how to um, get their home evaluated for um, moisture and other stuff, how do they get in touch with you? Well, there's a couple of ways. You know, my phone number is area code 805-797-4127. That's an out-of-state area code, but I've, you know, I've been here for 12 years. So I'm not going to change that. Or email Bill B I L L at train to build T R A I N with the number two B U I L D dot com train to build dot com. And if they need help on how to wash their hands, they can check out your YouTube. You got it right. Check out my YouTube channel. Uh, I have two of them. One of them is Train to Build, and the other one is Bill Robinson, and both of those have uh, hand-washing videos and some other stuff on there as well. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today, and hopefully so, we can help spread awareness to homeowners and contractors about how to be safe and healthy in their home and on the job. Absolutely, Marie. Now, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. If there's anything I can do to help you in your initiative, you know where I am now. All right. Thank you. You betcha. Thanks. You have been listening to Spotlight on Lead Poisoning from Southern United Neighborhoods. If you would like to help prevent lead poisoning, please visit our website at southernunitedneighborhoods.org or give us a call at 1-800-239-7379.